Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Enjoying the rain? I'm gonna, I guess my town's gonna be the tambourine this morning. That seemed quiet and subdued this morning. You guys alive? <laughs> Little chuckles here and there. Um, you know, talent shows have never been my thing. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, uh, the best I could do music-wise, I did take 12 years of piano um, between uh, first and 12th grade and uh, gave that up when I had the opportunity to. Um, <laughs> But now wishing that I could go back and keep playing, um, I'm sure I could pick it up. But when I was in high school, my, the, the band teacher heard that I had some semblance of music um, acumen and she needed a bass drum player. So that was my famous, that's all I did, bass drum. It's not that much to it. So, uh, so uh, this morning we are continuing our series on not the way it's supposed to be. And you know, I'm going to start with prayer. I'm, I'm a little scattered this morning. I just did this class beforehand of um, uh, just uh, God's heart for justice. And so I just need, maybe more so for myself, just to pray and, um, as we step into this this morning. So God, thank you uh, that we're here. Thank you that your presence is here with us. And God, as we uh, journey through um, your word of justice, I ask God that you would guide our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, around me, without me. And Lord, that we would hear from you today, however it is, whatever it is that we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, um, as Jonathan alluded to, you know, it's obvious our world is broken. Things are not how they are supposed to be. There are children and people who live in the old Tijuana dump. In, the, in, in different third world countries, there are people who live on trash dumps. It's not how it ought to be. There are approximately 10,000 children on the largest man-made lake in the world in Ghana. It's not how it ought to be. As we're well aware of, we have a huge refugee crisis of millions of people leaving Syria and being displaced. It's not how things ought to be. Here in the United States, we continue to have a racial divide within our own country. It's not how it ought to be. As we talk about things of, of ought to be, that's really the term of justice. Justice is giving to each what is owed to treat people equitably or how things ought to be. A good way of, of differentiating is to look at truth. So truth is what is or a fact or belief believed to be true. So I'm Phil Steiner, I'm a man. It's, it's true, it's truth. It is what it is. Justice is, well, this isn't right. This is what it ought to be. Like there ought to be freedom. There ought to be right relationships with people. Even in your own personal life, I'm sure there are relationships that aren't how they should be. It's not what it ought to be. And God's heart for justice is moving us into places and healings to into where things are made right, are made whole. And so justice, again, is what ought to be. Now it's interesting, as we just look at scripture and the word justice. Now justice comes with a lot of different definitions. Um, especially if you put the term social in front of it, right? Now that has a whole other different meaning. 
We're going to focus on justice this morning. So even within Scripture, justice is mentioned over 2,000 times. I was brought up in a tradition that when something is repeated in the Bible, God is saying, hello, pay attention here. There's something really important I'm trying to communicate. I'm sure if you're a parent, it happens to you. Tell my kids, all right, Caleb, Chloe, go clean your room. No, really, go clean your room. Ten minutes later, uh, clean your room. You know, brush your teeth. Have you brushed your teeth yet? No. You know, it's the second time I've said it now. Any parents like that, you've had to repeat yourself a few times. I mean, God here is saying something is important here. If you relate that to love, 700 times. Or even prayer, 1,100 times. God is serious about the idea and the action of justice. But let's define our term here. What do we mean by justice? Justice is living in right relationship with God, yourself, others, and all of his creation while standing with the poor and oppressed in their struggle against injustice. Right relationships. Justice, by definition, is social. It's how we interact with the world. We all live in a web of relationships, whether it's relatives, neighbors, people at school, people at work, our bosses, our colleagues. We all have this web of relationships. And personally, to have these right relationships between us and God, with ourselves even, how do we think about ourselves? How do we view ourselves? What are those internal conversations that take place about us? Living in right relationship with others, and with all of creation, while standing with the poor and oppressed in their struggle against injustice. And I'll, we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. So understanding that, now God, his heart for justice. So in Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They, they are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. Isaiah 61, 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them recompense. An everlasting covenant I will make with them. So he loves justice. Psalms 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. So you, you get this sense. Justice is pretty... Having right relationships is integral to who God is and how he wants us to live. So this idea of justice and righteousness. If you read the Old Testament, you see those two words used a fair amount. 48 times, justice and righteousness, justice. So again, God is repeating himself. Justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness. So if you look in Jeremiah 22, 2 through 5, you see the, the, these two words used together. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and proclaim the message there. Hear the word of the Lord to you, king of Judah, you who sit on David's throne, you, your officials, your people who come through these gates. So at the very beginning, God is painting this broad picture from the king to all the citizens, everyone. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Justice and righteousness. What does that mean? What does that practically look like? He goes on. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence for the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, 
and do not shed blood in this place. So it's interesting there that he says, do not wrong, do, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Another thing you see often within the Old Testament are those three groups of people used together. The fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. Why is that? Within those times, those three groups of people were the most vulnerable to be taken advantage of. They were the underclass of society. And if you read in Exodus, when God is setting up his community of Israel, he intentionally sets it up to protect the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. He cares about, he, he cares about justice. For if you are careful to carry out these commands, the kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this, of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by their officials and their people. So there's a blessing that takes place as well. That when you do this, and it's also a primary in the sense that it's my responsibility to be involved in this, to, to, for me to live in right relationships with the people around me, as well as to be sure to work towards those who are most vulnerable in our culture and our society, that they are protected and cared for. So if we look at justice and righteousness and their definitions, so in the Hebrew, justice, mishpat, acknowledges everyone's basic human right. Typically, this is related to the legal system, defending the widow, orphan, and foreigner within the justice system, fair treatment. If you think of our Constitution, right? Um, the, help me out here. Be, be, being endowed with inalienable rights. This is where I think a lot of this comes from. Acknowledges everyone's basic human rights. So that's mishpat, righteousness, sadaqwa intentionally works for the establishment of right relationships within communities. So there's that personal, primary relationship aspect of righteousness, living in right relationships, and then mishpat, justice, living in, because we also live in relationship with our government, with laws, with policies, with systems, and, and, and being active in those to be sure that those who are the most vulnerable are also cared for. It's a both and. So as we look at justice and righteousness, you see that often within the Old Testament. As it gets moved into the New Testament, the Greek translators were like, okay, we see justice and righteousness repeated a lot. Instead of using justice and righteousness in the New Testament, they used one word, dikaiosune. Just, which means just, justice, right, or righteousness. So you see that within Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they will be filled. So for me, growing up in the cornfields of Ohio, Buckeyes won last night in overtime. Um, give it up. Uh, sorry, just had to put that little plug in there. Um, you know, I was taught that righteousness was my morality, my personal morality, that I didn't cuss, I didn't go to R-rated movies, um, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs. It's that personal morality. Yes, I think we all need to have a moral compass in how we live, how we think, what we do. Yes. And righteousness is also how do we live in relationships with the people around us? How do we treat the people around us? How do we care for the people around us? So as blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, dikaiosune, which can also be translated as just or justice. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of 
justice or righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, interestingly enough, so in these verses, Matthew 5, I'm sorry, this is so small. I just realized that. Um, that, that, that. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Again, Cornfields of Ohio um, brought up that if I had this personal morality and people made fun of me, you don't go to R-rated movies, you know, I was being persecuted for that. When this was written, during this time, that if someone lived according to the law as how the Pharisees wanted you to live, you were probably admired or ignored because you were doing by the law. You were being morally upright. You wouldn't necessarily face persecution. But if we look at Jesus' life, he pointed out, okay, that's not right. How you're treating the woman that was just caught in adultery, yes, she sinned, but how you're going about this, that's not right. When Jesus cleared the temple, clearing out the money changers, saying this whole system you've set up is taking advantage of the poor, extorting them of money, he starts pointing out things that are not right. Typically, people who start pointing out injustices suffer persecution, especially within that time period. And it was normal for Rome at that time that if there was an uprising, that outside the city gates, you'd see these crucifixions taking place. Rome made it known that if you're going to point these things out or to rebel, you would pay the ultimate punishment for it. So blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we read the New Testament, we see the word right or righteousness. We need to consider the context in which it's being written as to whether it should be translated just or justice. And to really pray through those verses, all right, God, what are you communicating here? And understanding that it's the same Greek word for righteousness as it is for justice, dikaiosune. But as we look at Jesus' life, in Philippians 2, 1 through 8, says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in his spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other? Love one another, work together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. Where, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So we were to have the same attitude as Christ who humbled himself from the comforts of heaven into our cold, dark world as a human being. And one thing I want us to consider is, who was Jesus as a human? Now, I'm of the belief that, God, that Jesus was 100% completely God. He is the self-revelation of God. So if we want to know who God is, what he is like, what he cares about, we look at Jesus' life. At the same time, he was 100% human. He took on human form. He was a man. And I would suggest that God cares about the details of our lives, every little detail that happens. There's a verse that says, in him we live and move and we have our being. 
He permeates every aspect of our life. And at the same time, God does nothing by oops or by accident, or he doesn't leave things to chance. I would suggest that everything he does is done with intention and reason. So if that's the case, what do we know of Jesus as a human? He was born into poverty. We know that he was born in a manger amongst the stable, or some would say a cave, with, with animals. His family fled violence at, of an oppressive king, becoming a refugee and an immigrant, running to Egypt. He lived homeless. And he did a lot of couch surfing. Now, this was um, when he started his, his, his ministry. He was homeless. He lived under an oppressive Roman government. We know that, that Rome was the ruling um, oppressive force over Israel during this time. He lived under an oppressive religious system. If we read through Scripture, you see how he's always in battle with the Pharisees and just what kind of an oppressive religious system he was under. He endured an illegal trial. The trial, the arrest, everything was illegal about it. He suffered capital punishment as an innocent man. So given all of that, what does that communicate to us about Christ? Jesus as God and what he cares about, and Jesus as a man. Something to consider. Now, I understand this morning, I may be throwing some things out here that might be a little different, a little kind of like tweaking some things, and you may not agree with me. And that's okay. Like um, Matt um, had said, you know, it, unity above uniformity. And it's okay for you to have pushback with me. I welcome it. But I also want us to consider, what does this mean? If we look at, back to Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What is Jesus showing us here? What is he exhibiting? See, Jesus not only identified with the poor, the homeless, oppressed, and mistreated, he was one of them. He understood what that life was like. He had empathy and compassion for them. Empathy is actually taking time to spend time in someone else's shoes. There, there, there's an issue. So, for instance, um, the refugee issue or the race issue. We all come at this through different lenses and through different angles. And it's important for us to step over here, okay, can I understand how you look, look at this and listen to understand, not to judge or have preconceived ideas. They go, oh, you have this perspective. What does this look like? And to have empathy and understanding to listen and allow that Jesus' heart and compassion to drive us into these areas where there is injustice. To drive us into areas that where we were to, to the underside of life. Given that, how does Matthew 25, 31 change? Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The King prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This idea of the other being Christ. And also the other, and also seeing Jesus' life, that he had empathy and compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. He suffered with those on the other side of power. He's also suffered the same things that all of us has suffered as well. He knows those emotions. He knows what we're going through because he's been there and he's done that. He walks with us through these difficult times in our lives. And helping us recognize those on the underside of power, on the underside of life, that are struggling through injustices. And God is calling us into those complex areas of injustice around us. What I love about Jesus is that justice is for everyone. It's easy, I know, for me that I get passionate about this. To just jump to those on the underside and just point, say, okay, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. But we realize about Jesus, who are his disciples? Andrew and James were fishermen from the underclass. You had Luke, who was a doctor, probably a little more affluent. You had Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was part of that Roman regime. He interacted with all of these people, no matter where they were at on the socioeconomic status or where they were at as far as th their relationship when it came to justice. Zacchaeus, Matt mentioned him last week. Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, who cheated people of money, who extorted people of money, who took advantage of the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the fatherless. Jesus invites himself over to his house. You can understand why people had problems with him when they saw Jesus eating with him. Like, why are you eating with him? And through a conversation, Zacchaeus realizes, you know what? This is, what I'm doing is not right. It's not how it ought to be. And so what does he do? He gives back everything he's stolen and four times as much if he's taken anything. And then Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Salvation from what? Salvation from Zacchaeus living a destructive life and freeing him into a heart of compassion and empathy for those that he's taken advantage of. See, justice is for the oppressed and the oppressor. Justice is, is for the both and, calling us to live into a life of right relationships with God, with self, with others, and all of his creation. So no matter where we find ourselves on this spectrum, God is moving us and inviting us to say, come join me in making things right in this world. Yes, there are complex issues. Yes, they are layered. Yes, we might step on minefields as we go and go, oh, I didn't think of that. And rely on his grace and mercy to guide us through these difficult situations. And so as, as we enter into these discussions, when it comes to the refugee crisis and immigration and race and, and, and poverty, how, how should we approach these as people who want to follow Christ and follow him into, we see Jesus was in, lived in those areas of life. I would suggest looking at Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 as one of our guides. So Luke 4, I think Matt talked about this last week, Jesus, beginning of his ministry, comes to the temple, opens up the scrolls, and starts reading from Isaiah 61. 
says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So out of this, I would suggest a few questions that we should consider anytime we begin to engage some of these issues, as well as on our knees praying for wisdom. Because like I said, these are complex issues, but we as a church, we as followers of Christ cannot not do something. I have a friend, um, and, I, and I apologize if I shared this story before, um, 70-year-old uh, black woman who about two months ago I sat down with, I go, I, I need to understand what it is you're feeling and experiencing with everything that's going on with race in the United States. We sat down, went to a local taco shop, and sat there for the next three hours just listening to her. My heart broken, having no idea the depth that even in Marin County of what she has felt and experienced. Um, soon after the, you know, that, that horrific week on both sides of Flando uh, Castro and the other young man that, that, that was killed and then the police shootings, all that's just horrible. Knowing that that night after the police shootings, she felt the need to call her um, son, who's 46 years old, and say, hey, be careful tonight. Everybody's on edge. And she also told me that she has friends to ask her, why do you go to church? They don't want to talk about these issues. When I heard that, it was like a slap in the face. I'm like, man, I know for me, Personally, I need to step into these complex issues. I need to be like Christ, having the same attitude with Christ, to be compelled by compassion and empathy, and knowing that I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say things that I shouldn't have said, and I may have said those this morning already. And, and go, okay, I was wrong. I, should not have, I didn't say that right. But here's my heart. And my heart is one of, like, I want to see things as they ought to be. But here are the questions. How is this good news to the poor? How's what I'm saying, how I'm acting, how I'm viewing life? How does this give freedom to the oppressed and the enslaved? How does this bring healing for everyone? How is this good news for your neighbor, coworker, and relative? And ultimately, Jesus showed us the ultimate justice. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, before Christ, we were lost. We had no way of obtaining a relationship with God because of the sin and the brokenness in this world. We could not pull up our bootstraps and get to work. We couldn't work our way to Christ. We could not work our way to God. God saw this brokenness. And he's like, this is not how it ought to be. This is not how it should be. Romans 3, 25 through 26, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shed of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness or his justice, to make things right as they ought to be. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed before unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus is his ultimate act of being crucified and being raised again, restored, reconciled, justified our relationship with him. And as we take communion this morning, we can realize that through his shed blood and his broken body, he's invited us into this relationship with him because he's made it right. He's made it into how it ought to be. Knowing full well that things will not ultimately be made right until Christ comes back, he's invited us into this journey with him to live in right relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, all of his creation, and working towards and against, working against the injustices in this world. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you so much for Christ, for who he is, who he was, his example that he gave to us to live full of compassion and empathy to stand up in those moments where things are not right, to stand with those who are being taken advantage of. And Lord, um, thank you so much for your son Christ, who made things right between us and you. That you moved us into this area where we can grow in our relationship with you. So we thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. We thank you for your shed blood, for your broken body. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord guide you always. May he satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. May he strengthen your frame. May you be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. May we as a people rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the old age foundations. May we be called repairers of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Go in peace.